today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Doug Ford will apparently be calling the legislature back on July 11. Now, this is an unusual thing. Uh, what will be on the docket? We're going to talk about that in a second. But first up today, I want to bring in Alan Carter, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News, because our new premier and our prime minister are getting together today. And Alan, um, I've always thought that when you have two people who seem to be have so much in common and so friendly with each other, it would be such a fun f- thing to be a fly on the wall to hear how this meeting goes. Yeah, isn't that true? Um, by the way, you can just refer to me as Scott from now on. Uh, thank you. Scott Carter, now the Chief yeah, Chief Queen's Park Bureau Chief. There we go. Sure. Or just Chief Scott. I could be the Chief of the Scots, maybe? It's like that, that rum commercial now where everyone is captain. We'll just call everyone sure. Scott now here. But yes, very good. Alan Carter, just in case anyone's really confused now, uh, Queen's Park <laughs> Bureau Chief for Global News, just to reset here. Uh, they are meeting today, Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau. These two, as I said off the top, seem to be about as unlike each other as possible possible what will they talk about well i think that you know these things are you know high level sort of hey how are you you know i don't know if they're going to get into a lot of substance i i suspect that mr trudeau will talk to mr ford about the cancellation of the cap and trade and precisely what is going to happen uh, in the coming months you know that the uh, federal government has said that if if a province does not impose it bring in its own carbon capture scheme, that the feds will simply impose one on uh, a province. Now, with Ontario now joining Manitoba and possibly in the near future, Alberta, depending on obviously how the Alberta election goes, um, Mr. Trudeau is going to be facing an uphill climb to get these premiers on board to his carbon capture plan. So I think that's, I mean, that clearly is the major sticking point between the two right now. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't come up at all and that they talk instead about things like tariffs and trade protectionism, where that's where they find a lot of common ground. You've heard Mr. Ford say uh, quite emphatically that he stands shoulder to shoulder with the federal government on this and that they're all going to sing from the same hymnal. So watch today for there to be a lot more talk about that and all the things they have in common rather than the things that they have that they disagree on. For each of their constituent bases, is it beneficial for them to come out and be nicey-nicey and look like they got along and everything is great? Or because the Liberals really don't like Doug Ford and think he's Trump Jr. and the Conservatives really think Justin Trudeau is a joke as a Prime Minister, is it better for them, for their base, to come out and look like they had a good fight? No, I think that, I mean, I think everybody right here at this stage of the game wants to look like they're getting along. I mean, Mr. Ford is clearly in his honeymoon stage. How long that lasts is, you know, uh, it is up to Mr. Ford to some extent. Uh, uh, Mr. Trudeau is not, is no longer in a honeymoon phase, although he had a quite a long one. You could pretty much say that that's over because, of course, he faces the electorate fairly soon. So, I mean, you, you could see that the conservatives, or rather the liberal government federally, you know, the, the, we're setting ourselves up for a bit of a, a, a fight coming in the federal election and next year with the possible imposition of a carbon tax. But right now, it's nicey-nicey until everybody, it's kind of in a, it's kind of like a boxing match. This is round one. You go out, you just kind of dance around, take a couple of swings in the air, figure out what's going on. Well, and there are many people, and I know you've heard this as well, there are many people who say that Justin Trudeau right now should be actually quite happy with Doug Ford 
Because had Kathleen Wynne won another term with the popularity or lack of popularity of the Liberals, uh, by the time the federal election rolled around, that may have spilled over onto him. Now you get Doug Ford that you can try and turn into a punching bag and wait and see if he succeeds or not. This may be helpful for Trudeau. Absolutely. I mean, it helps Trudeau and it helps Ford. It all depends on which way the political fortunes go. And there's no really way, there's no way to tell this far out from a federal election where that will be. But you remember that Ontario, as a general rule, likes having two different parties federally and provincially. That's just generally the way it always goes here in this province. We, we don't like to have the same party, both federally and provincially. So, you know, that plays into Mr. Trudeau's favor in some way, especially if Mr. Ford does stumble in the next year and gives ammunition, real ammunition, because right now we're not talking, there's, there's really nothing to say, oh, you know, look at him, he's, be, he's being Trump-like. I mean, what can you say that he's being Trump-like about? This, this firing the chief scientist that, uh, that made so much news yesterday, you may have heard of this, that, uh, that this person has been fired now. Well, there wasn't a chief scientist in Ontario until about six months ago. I mean, it was, it was, this, this was completely created by the liberals in the last six months. So, so to suggest that, you know, he's in there cleaning house and changing, you know, it's not quite that. So we, in addition to the meeting, and again, this meeting, I, I think you're right, and I'm sure you're right, and I know you're right, that this will the, be very unlikely they're going to come out and be scowling at each other. It's going to be the happy times and breaking the ice. Then we get, in about a week now, Doug Ford has said that he's going to recall the legislature. Am I correct that it's unusual for this to happen at this point in, in the summer and so shortly after an election and so shortly after it was shut down? Yeah, I, well, it is and it isn't, Scott. Um because it, it's unusual to have a recall in the middle of the summer. Um, it does happen when there are, you know, uh, circumstances that require it. Remember that, uh, you know, all parties were saying, well, we're going to bring back the legislature to try and solve the York University strike, which then solved itself in, in the wake of the, uh, the election. So that wasn't required. But if I, rec- if I recall correctly, there was an early return of the legislature in 1990, uh, or pardon me, 1985, when um, the Big Blue Machine was uh, finally kicked out. And, you know, so it, it's not unusual, but or rather not un- unprecedented, but it is unusual. So what would, now those things though, that generally when they come back and you talked about with, they were going to bring it back for the York strike, those are emergency, emergency, is that a right word? Is that a good word? Emergency or really pressing, pressing issues that would bring it back. Why now? What is on the docket that Doug Ford would want to get this back and rolling right this minute? Well, he needs some legislative changes to get some things going. So he needs some legislative changes to be able to actually remove ourselves, remove us from cap and trade, although he has made some moves on that. He is going to make some other legislative changes and pass some laws. We don't know exactly what all is on the docket yet. We're we're not entirely sure, but we know things like he's going to come in and use his legislative power to either fire the board of Hydro One or force some kind of maneuver there. Because remember, one of his key promises was to remove the head of Hydro One. I suspect that guy quits. Uh, Mr. Schmidt will quit before he allows himself to get fired. But then again, he also has a nice provision in his contract that says if he gets fired, he gets extra money. So that's, yeah, I wish, I don't know if you have that. I don't have that. Not uh, yet. Working did. on it. Working on Are it. Are you working? Yeah. 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 Well. Um, Unsuccessfully, so, but working on it. 
yeah, that, that's <laughs> one thing that you'll, you'll see happen. Um, and then you'll also notice that Mr. Ford has put a pause in a bunch of um, recently enacted legislation. For example, uh, Smoke-Free Ontario, which contains regulations on vaping. Um, that has been put on hold. And, um, you know, so that, that won't pass as, as is. And there's a couple of other things that the Ford administration is doing with that. He obviously has won the election. We're not still in a campaign. At the same time, how important is it, do you think, for Doug Ford to make some big splashes right off the bat to show the people that voted for him, you know what, I'm going to do it. I mean, is, is this, do you think it matters to him? Or because or, it seems like an accelerated process. Yes. It, it, it is, and it is an accelerated process. I think one of the concerns we have, and I, I'm always really cognizant and hesitant to sound like I'm complaining about, oh, it's you know hard to do my job, because you know it's supposed to be hard to do my job. That's that's kind of the point. But you know, so far we have had these rather significant changes being implemented. Changes in OHIP Plus, for example, that came out with just it was just a news release on a long weekend no nobody's gone on camera nobody's answered any questions about it same thing with this vaping thing same thing with the um the resale ticket law that they you know froze yesterday and a bunch of other things that they've actually gone and make moves on but the only reason that we know that they're making those moves is because journalists are scouring the legislative pages of the ontario government where like you know things where it'll change a sentence from you know the the lieutenant governor will proclaim this into law at such and such a date. Suddenly, that cha- that sentence just changes to uh, the lieutenant governor will governor will proclaim it into law at her convenience, and that's all. That's the only thing that lets you know that there's something's been changed until you call the government and say, "What does this mean?" And then they explain, "Oh, well, we put a pause on this." So that communication style, I'm wondering how long that will last, and whether or not there's a backlash to come from it. Yeah, and I'm wondering if there's any political advantage to this for them? Because again, we're a long way. We've just had the election. We're a long way from running again. What is the advantage to making this move so quickly? Or is this just a philosophy? Do you think that they just want to do this? I think it's a philosophy. I believe it's just sort of the way that Mr. Ford and his um, executive team have decided to run things. They're going to run things um, centrally. It's uh, Jenny Byrne, who was uh, with uh, Mr. Harper, is now the chief of staff to Mr. Ford, and you can see a similarity um, in the centralization. Um, all of the, you know, the communication directors and the various staff that work for the ministries, often, many times, those hires are under the purview of the minister or the minister's chief of staff. But all of those things now have to go through the premier's office. It gives you a sense of how they're going to run things over the next four years. It's going to be much more centralized than we've seen in Ontario prior, at least for the last 15 years. And also, there's going to be far, far less communication. I think there's going to, going to be, you know, Kathleen Wynne would do two, sometimes three media avails a week where reporters could ask her questions. For example, Mr. Ford hasn't taken questions since he was sworn in. He didn't take questions the day he was sworn in, and he's not taking questions today when he meets with the Prime Minister. I do wonder, as we just wrap up here, I do wonder, though, if there is one other, and some people may say it's cynical, some people may say it's quite brilliant, uh, part to this, and that is 
to make some moves that may or may not be popular really, really, really early in your mandate. We know they like to do the stuff at the end. Every party does. It's really nice. Give away the money at the end. But if there are some difficult decisions to make at the very beginning, that may give lots and lots of time for people to forget by the time things roll around and other things come up. Is there anything to that that we want to get some of these things done so that, you know, even if they don't work for us, it's forgotten about in short order? Yeah, uh, well, I think that that is yet to come because the key move there, the cover for that, is the financial audit that is about to get underway. Mr. Ford promised in the campaign that he would do a line-by-line audit because there's you know, a discrepancy between the Auditor General and the Liberals as to how much money we actually have and how much we're spending. And my prediction is, is that that audit will come back to say that things are far worse than we have. Shocker. Shocker, I, Alan. I know, I know I'm blowing your mind here. We've never I? heard that from any government before, ever. No. No. And remember that, you know, the Liberals actually, when they came into power in 2003, they put in legislation that was supposed to stop this kind of thing. And what it was is that they asked for the Auditor General to have to sign off on the books in of. Uh, you know, the, on the government books prior to an election. So you couldn't have this. And what happened is the auditor and the government of the day, the liberals disagreed on what the numbers are, and it all ended up being meaningless. So now here we are again, just about to go through another one of these audits and say, oh, no, the cover's bare. And then once we have that, then you have the cover for what you're talking about is if you want to do anything unpleasant, now's the time to do it. Yeah, and what would you say, uh, I'll put the number in three digits, I'll say it's 100% that they say the cupboard is bare and things are far, far worse than we ever expected they were. Would you give any number less than 100% of that happening? Um, you know, I always like to hedge my bets a little bit, so here's what <laughs> I would say. I would say I would give 100% behind them never saying things are better than we expect. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. I, I again, I just, I, I look at this and I thought all along that, that that is one, and we've talked about this on the show before, that is one of the first thing that's going to be said is, my goodness, we, we thought we could do this and this and this, but there's no chance now. We're way worse off than we thought we were. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and, and you'll recall Mr. McGinty himself did that uh, in, when he came, took over from Mr. Ease, and that that was the basis for bringing in uh, what was essentially a health tax, although they called it something different. And this after Mr. McGinty had famously signed a big, uh, you know, novelty check or a pledge to say, I will not raise your taxes. It's always something, right? Uh, that is Alan Carter. He is the Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News. Uh, you can call him Scott, though, if you wish. Alan, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Anytime, Scotty. Thanks very much. Have a good one. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. For well over a decade now, I don't know how long, we'll find out in a moment, but it's well over a decade now, the Hammer City Roller Girls, they were the Hammer City Roller Girls, now the Hammer City Roller Derby, have run roller derby leagues in this city and throughout southern Ontario, down into Toronto even. And I remember writing a story about this when they were getting going, and it was a real startup. I mean, 10, 11, 12 years ago, it was a real startup in a little indoor ball hockey court in Burlington with a lot of people looking like they were in a lot of pain. The only place they could get to play at that time, well, kind of the story has come a little bit full circle here because while it has grown and while more and more people are involved in it, once again, it appears that finding places to play has become a bit of a challenge. Uh, joining me in studio today, Maggie Middleton and Jen Donaldson, or Maggie, well, you tell what your roller derby name is. <laughs> 
Um, my roller derby name is Typhoid Maggie. Of course it is. Yep. And, and uh, Nanya Biz. None you've been, you know what, uh, we'll get into the roller derby part, but the best part of it is the names. It truly the, is. The yeah. best part of it is the names. You guys, it is very, very creative. Occasionally a little on the line. Some of the names we probably couldn't say on the air. Oh, some names you definitely couldn't say on the air. <laughs> <laughs> where, where do the names, I mean, do you, when, when it was time to come up with a name, do you just like sit at home and grind it out to figure one out? <laughs> Sometimes they're gifted to you um, oh, really? through something you've done or um, something that rhymes with your name. Um, for myself, I know I like grinded over that in my head for weeks and weeks until finally I was like, none you biz. That's it. Ding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We have a winner. <laughs> and how about Typhoid Maggie? That's just, I mean, that's just a great name. But... Oh, I had like five or six names that I put to a vote with my friends and family. Oh, yeah? And that was the one that rose to the top. And there's lots of younger people who have no idea what it means, but... Uh, you know, that that's fine. It fits. Yeah. It fits. I, there was mm-hmm. one that I remember, which uh, when I did that story a long time ago, and when I first heard the name, I thought, oh, that was brilliant because it has a double entendre. And I, I guess I'm a lot. Anyway, she was perky set. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's kind of, you know, edgy and edgy. Yep. Both yep. ways. It, <laughs> it works on many, many levels. Exactly. But yeah. uh, what, uh, what are some of the best ones you've ever heard? There's got to be some really good ones that are memorable because oh. everybody has one, right? I Well, my favorite is DJ Fart Noises. <laughs> Who I believe plays? Oh, I can't remember who they play for at this point in time. But uh, I that's hope one that of my was faves. not a name that was gifted to her. <laughs> <laughs> Probably was by her teammates. Knowing this sport, <laughs> <laughs> but th- there's a lot of great ones though. Like when you go through the list, that's that's part of the fun of this is seeing the ridiculous and in a good way, ridiculous names. Yeah, it's something that uh, that roller derby, even as it has become more. Um, of a serious sport uh, that, that has kept a bit of whimsy about it with the, with the names. And people see the name as a bit of a rite of passage. Sometimes they come to the league with the name and sometimes they get there and like, who am I going to be within this space? Um, so when they do ch- choose that name, it's the, it's the name that kind of sticks with them. And But you know what? If you don't like your name or if you end up with a nickname of some sort, there, there have been, it has been known that people will change really? their name to the thing that they're like, you know what? This one fits me better. Is there a friendly competition to have the best nickname? You don't want to come in with a crappy nickname. <laughs> You're not going to be a you know a star in the league if you've got a crappy nickname, no matter how good a player you are, right? No. Well, you know what? Like to be honest, I'm now skating under my own name. Really? I, I skate under Maggie Middleton now, and that's my own little piece about legitimizing the sport. You know, we're we're looking to our communities and to our governments to kind of look at our sport and be like, no, this is real. This isn't like the um, the fake kind of it, like re- like professional wrestling was or is uh, with the storylines and that sort of thing. It's a legitimate sport, and sometimes I think the names hold us back a little bit. But at the same time, I'm the first one to be like suggesting names for people because I do love the whole names thing, but. Personally, I am skating under my own real name. Okay, so some people listening right now, Jen, are saying, wait a second, roller derby. I remember there was a movie in the 70s, and I know there was a TV show where the, like, it was a, a league that was shown on TV back in Saturday afternoons in the schlockiest of you know 1970s TV, but it's there's really real roller derby? There is ro- real, I mean, you're, you're not, it's not, as Maggie's saying, it's not fake wrestling, it's real sport. It's real sport. It's real grit. Like we're we're quite serious. Um, our league members practice anywhere from five to seven hours a week. Um, you get bruised up, banged up, and it, it is like mentally grueling, physically grueling. Like it is a real sport. 
Now, I, I did want to point out that both of you are wearing sleeveless tops and no, and there are no giant bruises on you that I can see. Is that just because you haven't been playing lately or have you been playing and got lucky and not been injured? You can't see my shins right now. <laughs> Is that right? And, and I'm on leave at the moment. So. <laughs> but if you looked at us probably like three or four weeks ago, we would have looked a yeah. little more Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were saying before we came on the air that your husband or your boyfriend has actually asked you to wear long sleeves at times before? Yeah, yes, because you, as the position that I play, I work with my teammates, and part of that is making physical contact with your teammates as well as making physical contact with your opponents. And when you make physical contact with your teammates, often that's in the form of them grabbing you, kind of pushing you to where you need to be on the track, holding on to them so that they can keep their keep your opposing point scorer kind of behind you. Um, and so that creates a lot of grab marks in the arms. So, yes, that's which that's, that's where I get my most common bruises. Yeah, yeah, which is wonderful for your significant other when you're walking around and you have grab marks all over your arms. I mean, we, we, you know, we know what to look for with domestic abuse and you don't want him thinking that, right, when you're out in public? Yes, and I, I think that it's one of those things that I, I, we get used to it. We get used yeah. to seeing one another with bruises and the, the, the sport is grueling um, and you get these surface bruises, right? It's very rare that you get an actual like major injury. But just like if you worked in construction or even a daycare, you know, you get these little bumps and bruises all over all over the place. So, yeah, we end up getting a little bit banged up. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it is a very physical sport. I mean, even again, when people think of it as a, if they've seen it back then in the 70s, if they're that old, or if they've seen it recently, I mean, it is a really physical thing you're doing. It's not pretend physical. It's, you're banging bodies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. your phys- the way that the game works is that you are the other team has a point scorer that's trying to pass your teammates and the way that you um, keep them from scoring is to keep them behind you physically. There are legal contact zones, illegal contact zones, um, penalties if you use an illegal contact zone or contact an illegal contact zone. We have a rule book that's like thicker than the NFL. <laughs> um, so then that's part of the legitimizing of the sport is is really putting rules around it, making it and a lot of those rules are around safety to make sure that it's a safe game to play and that you're not playing in a way that's reckless. Did you know that when you got into it? Did you, I mean, you knew it was going to be physical, but did you know it was going to be as physical as it was when you started? I'm actually surprised at how not physical it is. Really? Like we spend, we spend a significant amount of training before even playing the game, learning how to skate and fall safely. And um, if you're going to be hit, how do you, um, sustain that hit and and how do you properly give a hit that's legal that you're not going to injure yourself so I found it me myself being quite a small person um having gone through that training I'm like oh this isn't that bad like I'm not getting elbows to the face or something it's actually you you go through training so you can safely play the game I'm wondering though if some of that is that because now it's been going on for a decade or so and people have been getting better because again right at the very beginning it was what I saw, it was mayhem. And maybe that's just because everybody was new to it and there was not a lot of skill. It was just more of the bash banging and crashing. Yeah, the game has evolved quite a bit over the past um, 15 years that it's becoming more mainstream again. And it's gone from being a very fast game where you're almost racing around the track. We play on an oval track. Um where you're almost racing around, hit, hit, hit. You're like, you're just hitting, 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 like anything that's moving, you're hitting. It's gone to be a much more strategic game, a much more controlled game where you're trying to keep things slow. You're trying to use your physical strength in the most efficient way possible as opposed to chasing, chasing, chasing. It's more about holding, holding, holding. So holding that point score back um, rather, than tra- and, and rather than trying to like get that big hit and send them flying. 
But we do know that uh, people do get injured. I know there's someone who works in this station who plays roller derby and had a broken ankle from that. Um, when you, when you, did you have a background in physical sports? Like, was this something that you had come from playing rugby or come from something else? Or was this like, how do you end up in this? Uh, for myself, uh, I did not have a background. I think the most physically strenuous thing I was doing was weightlifting. So I wasn't really involved in team sports. Um, but I know Maggie, I know you're quite active. Yeah, I played a lot of team sports, uh, but I didn't. The only thing that I played that had any physical contact was rugby, and I stopped playing it because I didn't like the physical contact. So I was actually quite surprised <laughs> that. Uh, so you quit rugby to play roller derby? Yeah, well, you know what? I think I was older and wiser when I came in to play uh, roller derby than I was when I played rugby. And it's a bit of a situation where it is so much more controlled. And. Um, I understood the game of roller derby a lot better than I understood the game of rugby. And also, I can't run very fast. I can skate fast, but I can't run fast. So, you know, I can skate away from whoever's trying to hit me. <laughs> so how do you, so if you haven't, Jen, if you haven't got a background in this, you haven't got a background in physical contact sports, how do you decide you're going to do this? Um, for me, I, I first discovered roller derby. I think I was living out in Montreal and the roller derby culture and the scene there is very big. So I attended a few games and really enjoyed it. And then transitioning from being a an all-star fan to actually getting involved in the league was um, from the encouragement of actually Maggie, because I always saw it from the sidelines thinking, wow, these people are so amazing. And then um, I contacted the league to do a fundraiser and Maggie said, you know, you can join. Right. Um, so that's kind of how I crossed the threshold of of being a loving this sport to actually being able to play it. But it sounds like it when Maggie joined that probably people around her with your rugby background would have said, oh, that makes sense. Of course it does. When you signed up and you told your friends and family you are now in roller derby, they they say what? Um, some Most of my friends were like, wow, that's awesome. That makes sense. Um, my family was like, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> and still uh, are kind of like, I don't. I don't understand, um, but a lot of people, once they've seen me play and, and they understand the, the inner workings of there's a community around it, they're like, okay, this makes sense now. Uh, maybe there's a silly question, but why is there no guys roller derby? There is. Oh, there is now? Yep. There's a men's roller derby association and there is men's roller derby. There's none in Hamilton. Um, and I think that's just because no no one has actually founded a league um, successfully within Hamilton. Uh, it is a lot less prominent than than women's roller derby, but um, there is men's roller derby. Would it be a fair assumption that as you saying it was yours is not as physical as you expected the men's would be? Do it's they about, kill each other? It's about the same level really? of, of physicality. Again, yes. I would just expect testosterone to be like the smash everybody as much as you can. Yeah, I mean, from a physical strength perspective, they're, they they might hit harder. But there are there are women who play in the men's leagues, um, and there are co-ed leagues. And it's one of those things where, and even within a women's league, one of the things that's awesome about roller derby is that there's no body type for roller derby. There's a body type for swimming and there's a body type for ballet, et cetera, et cetera. But with roller derby, we always say roller derby loves everybody because... Um, skates tend to be the great equalizer. As I said, I can't run fast, but I can skate fast. Um, and when you put people on skates and they get those skating skills, um, you know, big bodies take up lots of space on the track. Little bodies can fit through small, small spaces. Um, you know, you can be big and agile, small and agile. You can be big and strong, small and strong. Um, so there's a huge range, and that's what allows mm. such a kind of vastness of 
different people playing roller derby. What are we talking about as far as numbers? How many people are playing it around here now? Any idea? I mean, are we talking in the dozens or in the hundreds or in the... In our league, like Hammer City Roller Derby, we have about 50 rep league skaters. So those are skaters that are eligible to be rostered for a game. Then we always have like 20 to 30 people in the pipe who are in our training programs. And our training programs, we, and this is one of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to roller derby, is that you don't need to know how to skate. We will teach you how to skate. First, we teach you how to skate. Then we teach you how to play roller derby, and then you get to play roller derby. So it's a very controlled process. There's no baptism by fire. You don't get thrown <laughs> in and just be like, okay, go do it now. It's very controlled, and and the, the person who's in the training program can control the pace. So if they feel like their skating skills aren't ready to go to the next level, they can redo our skate, learn to skate program. Um, if they go into that second level and they're like, okay, I'm not re- really ready to play in the big leagues yet, they can do that second level for as long as they want. Um, so even if you don't ever want to play, you just want to come and do the skills get and the hang exercise. out and get the exercise, that's fine. I mean, Jen just went through it in the past year, so she might be a good person to talk to about that. The fact is, though, that part of the reason we wanted to have you here is my understanding is that while this has been growing and while there's a lot of people, and as I say, it's spread through Southern Ontario, there's teams in London, there's teams in uh, Toronto and all parts in between, getting places to play has been a bit of a nightmare lately. What's going on with that? Why is it so hard to find a place? Um, from what I know, I mean, I've only been involved since October, but um, usually once it gets about the time where hockey starts up, a lot of the arenas that we would normally practice out of uh, freeze over for hockey. Um, so we find ourselves suddenly scrambling to figure out, okay, we can't practice in the arena. So it's a year-round sport. You guys play yeah. year-round. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, so they, obviously the ice goes back in. It's been concrete all through the summer. The ice goes back in. So what do you do? So for the past number of years, we've been going to the Caledonia Fairgrounds, um, but they are under construction this year. Mm. So it, it's unusable this year. Um, last winter, we were actually fortunate, fortunate enough to become part of a group called Right on Target, which uh, used the old Target building down at the center on Barton, and we converted part of that to a roller rink. We bought a sport court floor, and we held all of our boats there and all of our practices there since November. Um, but as of this month, we are losing that space because they found a permanent tenant. So although we're in city arenas until the, hot, the the ice goes in, once the ice goes in, we have to find an alternative arrangement that's different from the ones that we used to use in past years. And is there anything at this point? Is there anything planned or is it still searching right now? There's a few things in the pipe. Um, Jen is actually one of our people who's looking for locations. So school board is an option that we are looking into. Um, And now that we have our sport court floor, even if we could find an old warehouse, even if the floor is bad, we can put down our floor and it's skatable. Um, So we just really need to find a space that someone will actually rent to us. Um, Often when we contact people, they're like, (laughs) roller derby (laughs) get out of town um so it's getting people over that hump of no we're a legitimate business we're a we are a registered not-for-profit really okay money in the bank and we're willing to rent space from you you just need to like answer our phone calls and emails what about insurance (laughs) because i'm wondering if that's part of a concern for some people that because again they have a visual of what roller derby is and it's like well yeah someone's going to break their arm the first day and i'm going to be sued because it's my building our our league is fully insured and as well, so the league has its own insurance, the board has its own insurance, and then each individual skater has insurance as well, um, like buys their own personal insurance. So we are very insured. <laughs> so unless there's negligence on the building owner's part, mm-hmm. they're pre- it's pretty safe. 
So have you had, so are, do you have any success right now or right now you're through the summer and then once the fall rolls around, it's big question mark? Little bit of that situation yeah. right now. Yeah. What about the recruiting for other people? I mean, you got recruited, you found your, you kind of found your way and you weren't really recruited. You found your way to it. Is that how most people end up in this? Do they find their way to it or do you, do most people, do you know someone who's into sports? You go, Hey, you should try roller derby. And they go, I don't know what roller derby is. And you say, come out. And then they find they love it. How, how does it work usually? It's a bit of all, all yeah. things. Friends, uh, friend, friend of a friend, friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. <laughs> you get dragged to a bout. You see an ad on Facebook. You see one of our posters around. Um, we even have people who say, you know, I watched it in the 70s and I always wanted to play. This is my opportunity. Um, so it, it comes from all angles, but we do a lot of social media um, advertising and we just I, we're all pretty in love with it so we're constantly talking about it to people and we all have like <laughs> I would roller say derby yeah, two thirds of the shirts that I have are roller derby t-shirts and people will ask me about it and then I'll be like oh here's a flyer which I always have in my purse so it just kind of I don't know it's about living and breathing the sport and it just kind of spreads that way how many people though when you tell them about it have ever actually seen it Do have most people seen it by now or is it still a mystery to most people I find it's a mystery. Do you? Uh, yeah, I find a significant amount of people think it's a mystery. And then I say, well, have you ever seen the movie Whip It is usually. Yes. Um, which came out, I can't remember when, early 2000s mm-hmm. or something. Um, but yeah, a lot of people still don't know. And even if they've seen it, I bet you that if I was to open the phones right now and say, someone, whoever can call in and explain the rules to me wins a prize, I bet we'd be waiting for a while. Because again, it's, if you don't see it a lot, it's, I don't know, is it complicated? It seems complicated-ish. It can be complicated. <laughs> the basic premise is simple. You've got Each team has a point scorer, and they have to pass people from the other team to score points. So they go around and around and simple. around. Simple. Simple. But then it gets into what I was talking about with legal contact, illegal contact, various other rules. So it can be very complex, but if you build it from the base up, and when people just come to watch it, I just say, look at the person with the star on their head. That is the person who's scoring points. Yeah, it's like, it's like watching cricket, right? The, the basic premise of cricket is super simple and then you, uh, same thing, and you go, okay, what just happened there? I have no idea, but I can understand points. You can get points. So where do you go now then? What, what happens if in the fall there isn't a place? Do you have to shut down or do you just have to travel a million miles away every time to find some place in some other city? Well, we won't shut down. That's for sure. We've got a really dedicated base of skaters. Um, if we, we're, we're hoping that we find something. If we don't, it'll just be a lot of off skates workouts and kind of meetups here and there. And um, there's also lots of other teams around, as you've mentioned. Um, I'm hoping that if we don't have a place to skate, that all of our neighboring leagues, that we can go and scrimmage against them and join their practices. Um, so, you know, we, we might be feeling pretty high and dry right now, but I imagine that we'll be able to skate in some way, shape or form through the winter. If it turns out that somebody has a facility, knows of a facility, has a warehouse, whatever else, and wants to get in touch with you, you must have a website. We do have a website. It's hammercityrollerderby.ca. All one word, all lowercase. Yeah, that's right. And uh, as well as we have an email address, which is locations at hammercityrollerderby.ca. And that's on the website too, but that's the specific people that are working on our location issue. And if you want to just learn more about roller derby, I'm guessing that would also be the place to mm-hmm. go and mm-hmm. check it out. Uh, Maggie, Typhoon Maggie Middleton and Jen Nunyabiz Donaldson. Thanks for coming in today. Good luck finding a place. Thanks for coming in. Thanks. Thank thanks you. for having us. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. 
The Hamilton Ticats kick off week four of the Canadian Football League season this evening in the heart of CFL country. That, of course, would be in Regina. They are playing the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Huge week for both teams. The Hamilton Ticats can go into a bye week with a 3-1 and record if they win this one. Considering how many years they've started 0-2, 3-1 would be just delightful for Ticat fans. On the other hand, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders uh, are coming off a really tough week and are trying to avoid falling to 1-3. and three. Now, here's the other part. With all of those three, if they lose, all of those three losses would be to Eastern teams, which, considering recent history, would be, if not disastrous, certainly ill-advised. Rod Peterson is the play-by-play voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He's a legend out there on the plains. He joins us now. Rod, how are you tonight, today? I'm not quite sure about that, but I'm good, Scott. Look, uh, legend is, is an appropriate word. I mean, legend can mean a lot of things, but you are a legend for sure. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> I know I'm a voice of the riders, and I'm very <laughs> excited about this football game tonight, and happy to have the Tiger Cats in town. I mean, downtown Regina, you can imagine what it's like on a game day. It's not dissimilar from Hamilton. Everybody's in green. It's a beautiful, hot summer day. Not as hot as where you are, but we're getting there, and uh, I just expect a fantastic football game tonight. Let's start with the Riders, because that's where your uh, wheelhouse is here. Uh, after last week, they lost to the Montreal Alouettes, a team that many people had figured and, you know, with reason, was going to be truly awful this year. Uh, for Riders fans, after that week, is the sky falling? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying to dis- discern, Scott, between how many of these people are rational and how many are just crazy. You know, I, I'm. Is I there a difference in Regina with the fans? I thought they were all not, a little bit irrational at times. Not really, but I mean, we have a million people in the province, so vis a vis a million coaches or a million general managers. <laughs> so they've lost two in a row. If they lose tonight, obviously three. And yeah, it, 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 we're, we're, we were teetering on panic territory even going into the Montreal game. So there's a faction of people that want Chris Jones fired and. It had a lot to do with that Montreal game. The Riders were favored by, I think, 10 points going in, ended up losing by six, looked dreadful. And, you know, they took, I think it was 12 penalties, pulled the quarterback at halftime. It was a really bad showing. And I guess the team's played five games this year, including two preseason. They've been awful in four of them. And more was expected. You know, this team was supposed to contend for a great cup championship, and they still could. But to be one and two uh, isn't sitting very well with the fan base. So, by the way, two, uh, three Ticats fans just walked by me right now. If I had a picture, I'd send it to you. So there will be at least some Tabby's fans. Here tonight. Well, will be a few black dots in the sea of green. So that's, that's yeah. encouraging. Uh, your head coach, Chris Jones, said this this week. He said, I worry about this team, not the fans. If we went undefeated, there'd be somebody complaining. Um, is that him deflecting the criticism that's coming his way, or is he on to something there that no matter what, there would be people who would be pointing fingers? Oh, he's, he's 100% right about that. People were very upset when he said it. That was just yesterday. Uh, but he was being honest. You know, if you went on, you heard the whole clip. He said he won a state championship back in Tennessee, and the morning after the game, people were complain, complaining they didn't throw the ball more. Very similar <laughs> here. Gary Echeverry, who was our defensive coordinator, two or three different incarnations with his team, said, the Ryder fans want you to go 18-0, and and from a defensive perspective, they don't want you to allow one yard, or they're mad. And there's no question, the expectations of this team are unreasonable. They expect them to win every game. But the problem is here, you know, there's a small Hamilton tie-in in that, 
shortly after Chris Jones showed up, three years ago, he cut John Chick, cut Weston Dressler, traded Darian Durant, cut Chris Getzla. John Chick, of course, ended up in Hamilton and had a pretty productive first year yep, there. Yep. But Chris Jones was telling the fans, this needs to be done. We need to shed salary. We're starting fresh. And the fans reluctantly bought into all that, even though those guys were absolute legends here and still are. But the double whammy right now is they're not winning. Their favorite players are gone. And now that's why the heat's so high on Chris Jones. People are saying, we've believed in you for three years, and your team's playing like junk. That's why they're mad. So there's a lot of pressure on them. There really is going into tonight's game. That's what led to Jones' comment yesterday. The reporter said, do you have a message to the fans that are getting very carried away with their emotions right now? And he said, I can't worry about the fans. Well, one of the things that I understand, and again, we're, we're a few kilometers away from there, but as I've been able to glean from the Saskatchewan media and from the fans and everything else, is one of the concerns, one of the criticisms of Chris Jones has been the usage of a number of players, and two in particular. Uh, we'll go through these in order. The first one, you guys picked up Jerome Messam this year, who was a, you know, a great running back in Calgary, unbelievably efficient and, and, and dynamic. First game for Saskatchewan in a win against Toronto, he was used a lot, and he was really, really good. Next, the next week wasn't really used all that much. Last week didn't play at all. What, what's the deal with, with Messam right now? Well, I can't explain why they're doing it. I can explain to you, you know, some of the numbers. Last week he dressed, didn't have a carry. That's the first time that happened in 59 games in Jerome Messam's career. He came out yesterday and said he wants the ball more. He's not happy with the way he's... I think disappointed was the term he used. I don't care. I don't think Jones cares about what Jerome said. Every player wants the ball more. So there's that. While Chris Jones was saying that he can't worry about the fans, you got Brandon Briggs telling reporters that he wants Deron Carter back on offense. That's he the other player, it. yeah. I know, and, and we'll get to that. But, I mean, last week, the Riders had three tailbacks on their roster. Jerome Messon was one. Trey Mason and Marcus Thigpen were the others. And Jerome didn't even use even see the field other than on special teams so what the fans are saying and i think rightfully so because this is a knowledgeable fan base you don't have any backups in the secondary at corner for deron carter what if somebody got hurt there let alone played bad what are you doing with three running backs and you're only using one really so i thought yeah maybe there's something to that maybe the roster will be different for this week's game roster comes out yesterday no changes so i'm like okay well and i know you're gonna ask me about deron carter scott a lot, in history, a lot of genius men and women were considered crazy at the time. So I'm thinking maybe Chris Jones is the Mozart of his era right now in the CFL coaching ranks. It's just there's a lot of heat on him for I, these decisions. He is stubborn, if nothing else. We'll give him that. We'll give well, him that for sticking with I, this. We're hearing a lot of that, too, and I don't, I don't talk to him that much. I stand beside him in a scrum, but... Believe me, he's not running his roster by me on a weekly basis, so I don't know what his thinking is. And I also know better than to ask. And we've been dancing around this Deron Carter thing, so let's get to it. This is his third consecutive game starting at cornerback. As you know, he had 1,000 yards last year as a receiver and was the team's MVP. We knew that he could play DB. He picked off Levi Mitchell for a pick six last year and was player of the week on defense. So we know he can play there. But we all thought it was just in a pinch. This wasn't going to be a permanent thing. Well, this is his third straight game. This isn't a pinch. This is a plan now. And so far, it really hasn't worked. So I, And again, I can't tell you why he's starting there. 
There's got to be a reason. He got burnt for 130 yards by Chris Williams last week. The week before, it was like a 75-yard touchdown to Deontay Spencer. And if you watch the game, Scott, and I know Duran very well, you look at him on the – he's not having fun. He's taking penalties. He was yeah. penalized for contacting a ref last week. Like this experiment, it just seems to be failing miserably. But if you you're like the hundredth person to say why is he there, I don't know. Well, it's even the issue partially was last week. I mean, CFL coaches uh, are not dumb people. They are coaching because they understand football. At least we believe that that's the case, and, and we have reason for that. There is now a few games worth of film on Durant Carter, and and it appears uh, last week anyway that they were finally able to really break him down as a DB. And and I I mean I have no reason to expect that Hamilton, with probably Brandon Banks playing against him, or vice versa, isn't going to have that same film and isn't going to find the same ways to try and exploit his weaknesses. He's a great receiver. He's a pretty good DB. I don't think that uh, you brought me on to talk about everything from a rider perspective, although maybe you did. Um, but just with the Duran thing, we to the it's to the point that we can't understand why he's there because he's looking bad, as you said. His technique's not great. People are writing into my show, calling into my show, saying, "Hey, there were NFL teams last year that said they'd be interested in Duran Carter as a cornerback. Is that why Chris Jones is there? Does he have a handshake deal with the Carter family, Duran and his father, Chris?" to try and get him to the NFL as a DB? It sounds completely preposterous. But how can you discount it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, it, 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 tell me that that's not the case. You know, yeah, so, uh, yeah. Again, it's strange. It's strange well, for Duran, sure. He's not being put in a position to be successful. That much is very evident. And that's why the frustration around here is mounting. Um, and I say Duran's taking penalties. You know, when he's off the or when he's off the field and answering questions in the media, he's pretty gregarious and smiling because he just loves playing football. But it's just he's just not being used efficiently, and the team's not winning. So that gives you a bit of an idea of what the sense is here. And tonight he's got to cover Brandon Banks, and as Jones has said, a veteran corner would have a tough time covering him. So we'll live with Duran's mistakes. We just don't want to get beat on the big play. How much? were the Rough Riders banking on Zach Caleros. I mean, everyone here knows Zach Caleros very, very well. Uh, When he went down with a concussion in week one, how much did that throw everything into the blender? Well, everything, because I know this. Chris Jones thought Zach Caleros was the missing piece to a great cup championship team. That's what he thought. I don't think he's ever said that publicly, but I've had staff internally tell me that. That's how much they think of Zach Caleros. And I also know this from Ticats personnel. When he got benched last year in Hamilton, Jones was on the phone trying to acquire him via trade Ben. So he thinks a lot, Jones does, of Zach Caleros. So when he got hurt, and that's not even Zach's fault. If you watch the game in Ottawa, he was getting hit every third play. He got hit in the preseason harder than he's ever been hit in his life. He told me that. It's not Zach's fault that he's not playing. But when they traded Darian Durant, Two years ago, they said, we don't want to tie up a half a million dollars at one position because if he gets hurt, we need to have depth behind him and be able to pay guys to be behind him on the depth chart. Fine. Fans were okay with that. Then you acquire Zach Caleros, give him a half a million dollars, then he gets hurt, and Brandon Bridge can't win as his backup. So you're seeing he, he kind of did the exact opposite of what he said he was going to build this roster like at the quarterback position. So it kind of looks like the roof's caving in here tonight. A lot of it... The outcome of tonight's game will depend on the play of Brandon Bridge, who was not good last week. I mentioned he was pulled at halftime. Some of these guys, like Duran, if you're going to play corner, and Brandon, if you're going to start, 
you need to reward the coach for the loyalty that he's shown mm-hmm. in you. And last week, they didn't do it. Brandon was very disappointing. And I love the whole Air Canada thing. I love him as a kid. I'm not sure yet that I love him as a player. This, I think, is his last chance tonight. Because if he does not get it done, they're going to be looking. We're going into a bye week after this. You know, I'm not necessarily saying they're going to bring a quarterback in. But I think every possibility and avenue is going to be explored. If this team goes into the break at 1-3, and three, which as we sit here and say that, that's not even that bad. I mean, going into the game tonight, they're one win behind the Ticats, who everybody's crowning as the Great Cup champions in the <laughs> yes. first week of July. Like, we do need to step back and take a breath. I think that's a little bit what Chris Jones is trying to preach to people. But here in the Ryder Nation, it just doesn't work that way. And I think Chris Jones has been around here long enough to know this is how it works. Well, we heard coming into this season uh, that there, uh, we heard the name – well, we heard that Saskatchewan may be in the market for a quarterback or was still talking, and the name, which we've heard a lot around here lately, Johnny Manziel, was always being thrown around. Has that name been thrown around among your callers and your folks of there? Of course it has, but so what? I mean, I'm trying to remember. I had a TSN analyst on my show a few weeks ago, and I was going to ask him about the Johnny Manziel rumors to Saskatchewan. Then I thought, wait a minute. Why would I even ask that? That's only a rumor here. Lancaster always said it because he spent so much time living in Regina. He said, if you haven't heard a rumor by noon in Regina, start one. And that was the rumor was that the riders would be after Johnny Manziel. Look, I've talked with the Ticats all through this Manziel process, going back a couple of years. I know how hard they tried to get him to Hamilton. They're not going to turn around and flip him to Saskatchewan. For what? To help the riders out? I mean, if Mazzoli goes down tonight, June Jones has coached him into the next Warren Moon. So what can he do for Johnny Manziel? Like, just think about that for a second. And going into this season, the Riders had Caleros number one. Fans are saying, let's trade Brandon Bridge because we're good at quarterback with Caleros. Let's trade Bridge. Where would they be if they'd done that? So why would the Ticats trade Manziel? I, there's, I don't think there's anything to it. Now, having said that, it's the CFL. Nothing surprises me in this league. Never will again. I should ask them, but I know Eric would laugh me in the face and hang up. You, you because, mentioned you mentioned Jeremiah yeah. Mazzoli, though, because you guys are facing him today, and he has been he's been rolling. You've been around this league a long time. Do, do, do people outside of Hamilton now consider Jeremiah Mazzoli an elite quarterback? Well, of course, because we all watch the games, you know. And and to be honest, I'm very close with Eric Tillman. I consider him one of my closest friends. When he brought him into the CFL. He was singing his virtues way back when. What's he in year now? Five, year six? So I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for, Man- for Mazzoli to, to be the guy that he is right now. But the people in Hamilton that are crediting Mazzoli's success, they're giving it to June Jones. You know, he is a genius when it comes to quarterback play and coaching. He's the reason I think nobody else has been able to pull this out of Mazzoli. Ken certainly wasn't able to do that, although I guess he didn't, you know, they were, he was too busy with Zach. But yeah, I believe in Jeremiah Mastoli. I was looking at his numbers today. Not only is he leading the league at passing, but he's a threat on the ground, too. He's the vaunted, you know, dual threat, if you will, maybe triple threat. So I know that the Riders have their work cut off for them, but I also know they have the number two overall defense in the CFL coming into this game, number one against the run. I think Saskatchewan is going to make this a game, 
I, I think it's going to be a fantastic night. And that's the last, I'm going to let you go, but the last thing, last week, again, it was a bit of a disaster for Saskatchewan against Montreal, a game that everybody thought Saskatchewan was going to win. So looking at this, looking at last week, is this the kind of week with the team that you see there? Is this the kind of week where you see a team that's filled with rage and anger and bounce back potential, or do you see a Saskatchewan team right now that is kind of in a delicate spot right now, and if things don't go well at the beginning, this thing could fall apart? Where are they right now? Well, you're about the 1,000th person that's asked me what I think is going to happen in this game. And I'm honestly, I can't see the forest for the trees. I don't know where they're at emotionally or mentally. I know it's a short week. They play just Saturday night. They're home again tonight, Thursday. I think they're a little upset with what they've been putting up with from the fans. But I don't really know. I just, with Brandon Bridge, he's the wild card. I don't know about everybody else. Brandon Bridge is the wild card. If he has the game of his life tonight, if it finally all comes together on one night, they got a very solid chance to win this football game tonight. But if he has an outing where he needs to be pulled, I just can't see the Riders winning. Rod Peterson, voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, always appreciate your time, sir. Enjoy the game tonight. Good hearing from you, buddy. Thanks. That is, uh, again, Rod Peterson. Um, you, you know what? We got to fifth quarter. That'll be on right here on 900 CHML after the game, around midnight tonight, give or take. Rick Zamperin, who does the show, he's he's doing his afternoon pregame nap, banking on a midnight show start time after the game. So take that for what it is. So I'll be here for fifth quarter. But depending on how it goes after, because I know that out in Saskatchewan, out in Regina, their postgame show pretty much goes on for about four days. So after Rick is done here on 900 CHML, just go online and find... Just type in Rod Peterson with an E-N at the end, and you'll find the post-game show that'll probably be going on even long after we're done here, because don't forget, it's earlier there, too. So, And you will be able to take a listen to, especially if Hamilton wins. Oh, oh, if Hamilton wins tonight, and especially if Saskatchewan does not look good, because they were bad last week, and you understand what their fan base is like. Regina is the pulsating heartbeat of the CFL in this country. There's no question about that. If they don't play well, if they lose, if they go into their bye at one and three, oh, it is going to be like listening to people shoving screwdrivers into their ears out there. It is going to be nasty. It, it will it will be like it'll be much like last year when Rick was on here for the fifth quarter and the Tie Cats lost sixty to one in Calgary. Just the Ticats don't have to win this game tonight 60-1. to one. Saskatchewan does not have to lose 60-1. to one. They can lose by one point, and it will be post-game show Armageddon out in Regina. It's, it's always so nice to hear that the other CFL fan bases are, are similar to, to your own because, because when Rod talked about the, uh, the, the fans complaining uh, that when Chris Jones won the state championship saying he didn't throw the ball enough, you know, I, I was brought back to 2015 that Ticats team before Zach Kalaros got hurt that was blowing people out. They had the best defense and the best offense in the league. And and I was sitting on the board for the fifth quarter of a game in which they scored 49 points against the then best defense in the league, Edmonton Eskimos. And you know what one caller said to me? He said, oh, it's a big win, but they should run the ball more. And that and 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 that to me is what makes the CFL wonderful. But also, I I'm so glad that the other fan bases have their weird that little things is, too. Uh, that is um that is the beauty and insanity of being a diehard fan all wrapped into one. We used to joke around when Ted Michaels 
used to do the fifth quarter here on 900 CHML. I used to sit next to him in the press box at Iverwin Stadium, and we would always joke around that Ted was going to have to talk Estelle down off the Skyway after the game because she'd be calling in ready to leap because something would have gone on that would have sent her over the edge. Well, you know what? It's, um, as I say, it's the beauty and insanity of being a fan. You love it. And yet it'll drive you crazy sometimes, depending on how things go. Here's, here's the other part about this. We got to go to break. Here's the other part about this. The Hamilton Tiger Cats have looked, they looked pretty good in their first game against Calgary. They've looked really good in their last two games. They look like they are heading in the right direction. History would tell us this is exactly the moment the Tiger Cats stubbed their toe. This is the kind of game that you would say, oh, they're going to win for sure. No question. They've got this one in the bag. Saskatchewan just lost to Montreal. Montreal couldn't beat the Bantam team. We'll see. This is the kind of game that I think is going to determine a lot about what kind of Hamilton Ticats team this is and whether it's any different from other years because this is exactly the kind of game where things have gone squirrely before. We will see. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.